The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
wonderful years of marriage to Jan before she passed with cancer. In those wonderful years, I would wake up in the morning and the presence of Jan would be in the room. The soft stirring, the awakening for the morning, the warm embrace, the snuggling in bed. We loved to sleep in a cold room. And we would dash out of that cold room, one of us to turn the heat up, to shut the windows. Those are very sweet memories for me. I thought of that this morning as I awakened in my bedroom. Jan is gone to be with Jesus. But Jesus was present in the room. His presence was as real to me as it was when Jan was with me. I knew his presence was there. In my spirit, I could hear him. I could sense his closeness. I could sense his comfort. I could sense his incredible love. And I stayed a few minutes longer in bed this morning, just enjoying the presence of Jesus and praying, crying out to him, thanking him for his kindness and his mercy, his goodness to me. Between a husband and a wife, that is, in a healthy marriage, there are such tender feelings, such tender kindness, such concern and compassion one for the other, a curiosity about how your day will be and 
What are you going to be doing today? All of those tender things that are so powerful between a man and a woman. So powerful in a marriage that's godly. Those of you who are in marriages that are sick, where there is brokenness and separation, what you miss the most is that that intimacy, that oneness, the expression of, of love and kindness. It's the same in Jesus. A relationship with Jesus can be cold and formal, even as it can be in a marriage. Jesus can live in his half of the house and you live in your other half. can become ritualized and formal and dead. I've seen many marriages die. I've seen many marriages with Jesus die. Because one is convinced they have some charge against Jesus, some some accusation against Jesus. If a wife has an accusation or a husband has an accusation against the wife, it troubles the tender feelings of that relationship. If anger is ongoing, if anger is held on to, if there's a turning aside and for a week you don't talk, yes, that happens in marriage. I've seen marriages where a husband and wife did not talk with one another for a month or longer, each going their way and doing their thing and cutting off the other, cold, ice. Well, so it can be with Jesus. I just want to bear testimony today that Jesus is the sweetest, the kindest, the most compassionate lover of my soul. And when I awaken in the morning and his presence is there, my heart is so glad. My heart leaps with joy at his presence, so much so that I never want to wake up again and not have the presence of Jesus right there with me. honest i i literally got up and went immediately to the prayer closet and just wept before the lord in gratitude and thanksgiving for his great love and great kindness he has not been forced to carry me the way he has to open his heart to me the way he has. There's nothing that I could do to force him to speak with me, to quicken the precious scripture to my heart, to pour his peace into my life. I could not force him to do that any more than you can force your wife or your husband to be that for you. These are tender feelings that spring up when there is a 
There's an utter giving over of one to the other. It's what happens when utterly given over to Jesus. I read that passage this morning. Let me read it for you. I read this in my prayer closet. Matthew 16, beginning at verse 24. And Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. And I said, Jesus, I've walked with you a long time. And you've walked with me a long time. We have we have years together. I said, Jesus, when I saw your beauty, when I saw and experienced your amazing grace and love, I no longer wanted to save my life. Rather, I wanted to lose my life in you. And I bear testimony today that I have lost my life. My life is in the last part. I'm in the the fall and the winter of my life. I have lost my life for Jesus. I've not gone after the things of this world. I've not gone after power, prestige, or money. I've not gone after the entertainment. I've not gone after people. I've spent my whole life going after Jesus. And my whole life, Jesus has spent coming coming after me. When I lost my way, came calling me out of the kindness of his heart. I lost my way many times. I grew utterly discouraged and was about ready to drop in despair and say, This is hopeless. Came calling after me. This journey, I've become utterly exhausted to the point of just collapsing. And he's come calling after me and has said, I'm your rest. Come and rest in me a while. Come apart with me. As I've gone apart with Jesus and I've read the word and I've prayed, and oh, he's come in refreshing His love is magnificent. It's beyond my ability to talk about. I feel, frankly, a little foolish even trying to talk about it with you because it's so private and so personal, and yet I need to talk about it because love is there for you too. We pierce our, our souls with so many things of this world. We 
We pierce our heart with so much sorrow. We pierce our heart with with such desperation. Right there. Comfort our hearts. When I was a young man, I would hear my father talk this way about Jesus, and I, I didn't know what he was talking about because I'd never been put to the test. I was full of spit and vinegar. I wanted to go conquer the world for Jesus. (laughs) He didn't want me to go conquer the world for him. He'd already conquered it. Jesus already has won. Now he calls for us to come and be intimate with him, to rest in him to go do and say and be exactly what he tells us to go do and be and say. And he's responsible for the outcome. And so I come to this radio broadcast to talk to you about Jesus because he asked me to. And I come even speaking foolishly about my inner world. Embarrassed sometimes because it's so intimate. Jesus is so wonderful. And my heart is so full of his presence. So full of his love, his compassion, his mercy, his care. I don't know how to even talk about it. But I have lost my life. My time is almost over on this earth. I've given up my life for Jesus, and I'm so happy I have. I'm so full of rejoicing that as I come to the end of my life, I'm not filled with regret and despair. You know, when a man passes 50, he begins to reevaluate his life and say, have I accomplished the goals that I have? Have I... If I left a mark anywhere, you know, every man wants to make a mark in this world. Every person wants to make a mark. They want to be doing something that's counting for something. As I come to you today, I've I've not left much of a mark anywhere. I'm nobody. I'm unknown. I'm the least of all of God's children. I was and am a one-talent man. I want to tell you, I've not hidden my talent. One-talent man doesn't produce very much. Oh, how Jesus loves a one-talent man or woman. While I have not accomplished very much with my life. I don't come to you with regret. I come to you with joy, with the love of Jesus in my heart. I come knowing that I have lost my life for Jesus. 
I've not wasted it. I've not used my life on things that have no eternal value. I have spent my entire life seeking after Jesus. I'm not the sharpest pencil. So it's taken me a lot longer than it would take some of you who are very wise, very very sophisticated, smart, quick. I've had to take a lot of time just to read and reread the scriptures. And I've read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation well over 50 times in my life. I gave up counting after 50. And a friend said to me, who was a pagan, Ray, why are you always reading the scriptures? When I call and I ask you, what are you doing? You say, I'm reading the Bible. Why are you always reading the Bible? I said, because I'm slow. But I have to get this word in my heart because it's the only thing that comforts my soul. It tells me that Jesus loves me. And I tell you, there's nothing more important in the world than to know that Jesus loves me. To know that my heart has risen up and my heart loves Jesus. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not ashamed of saying to you, I love Jesus Christ with all my heart and all my soul. I'm so grateful to him for the tenderness and the mercy and the kindness that Jesus has shown me in these years of painful journey. Painful journey. I can say with Jacob, my years have been few and they have been hard. But I have the blessing, and I have the, and I have the power of Jesus in my heart and in my life. I would not give anything in this world. I would not take anything in this world. The place of Jesus. is everything to me. I would not take the friendship of any person. I would not take the rewards of any person. I would not take the money from any person. I would not take the popularity of any person. For the love of Jesus Christ in my heart. He says, whoever loses his life for me, find it. I have lost my life in this world, but I have found my life in Jesus. I have found my life in Jesus.
me read this scripture for you in Romans. Sixth chapter, verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the word slaves, of course, is do laws. It means you've given up all right, property or family. You've given up all right to popularity or to recognition. You've given up everything for God. That's what it means to lose your life for Jesus. It says the benefit you reap leads to hagio, holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Christ Jesus. I've spent all of my life seeking to be in Jesus. And as I've asked, I've asked questions and I've, one man angrily said to me, when are you going to stop this quest? Why aren't you just satisfied to settle down and be a normal person? I've had others rebuke me. Always wanting more, never being satisfied. Wanting more Holy Spirit presence and power. Wanting more of Jesus. And I have to tell you today, the more I have of Jesus, the more I want. The more he feeds me, the more I want. I need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to do what he asks me to do. It's not about power, it's about Jesus. Not about building something great, it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Now, sin, sin breaks those, those tender connections with the heart of Jesus. You need to understand that when you walk in sin, you are damaging your relationship, your tenderness, your, your intimacy with Jesus. When your heart is hard, You hurt the heart of Jesus. When you make accusations against your brother or your sister, you're making accusations against Jesus, and it hurts his heart. Jesus has a very tender heart. I remember in my marriage with Jan, there were times when I did things that, or said things that caused her heart to be hurt. I didn't do it intentionally. I did it either out of ignorance or out of being driven by something, ambition or whatever it was. And she would cry. 
and it would break my heart. I didn't want to damage those strands of love. You know, a marriage is made up of many, many strands of love that tie the two together that make you one. And and if you begin to cut those strands of love with harsh words and demands and accusations and lying and cheating, the day will come when all the strands of love will be broken and you'll be separated and you'll divorce. When a couple come to me and ask for marriage counseling, the first question I would ask them is, are you willing to do whatever Jesus wants you to do? Are you willing to submit to him? And if they say no, then I say, I I can't help you. Because I know the work of restoring a marriage is submitting first to Jesus and letting him stand between you and then beginning to cast those strands of love to the other's heart to connect with one another again. Sometimes a married couple is so hard, it's like two billiard balls strike one another, and when they come together, they bounce apart. And one of the first tasks of a marriage counselor is to begin to help them to soften that hardness between them so that strands of love can begin to attach once more Like tendons, when they're torn off, they have to come and surgically those tendons have to be replaced in our body. They have to be reconnected in our shoulder or our knee or wherever they've been stretched and torn. It's the same in a relationship. Those strands have to be reconnected. And as they are reconnected, the couple begins to build once more toward intimacy. The husband brings flowers home when and the husband does things in the house, help the wife. When the wife reaches out and prepares that special dinner for her husband, when she speaks those kind words of understanding when he's struggling, when her face is not an angry scowl when she sees him, but instead a warm, welcoming smile, where there's forgiveness and and things begin to soften between them so that those strands of love can once more begin to be attached to the other. And as those strands of love are attached, closeness begins to develop and intimacy comes into the relationship. So we're either cutting the strands of love with one another or we're severing those by our actions by our words. Recently, a person misunderstood something I said to them. And instead of coming to me and talking about it, they went to another person and talked with that person about it. And that person talked with me and said, are you aware that this person is saying these things about you? said no, and I didn't say what they're saying I said. So very quickly I called the person and I said, is this what you're saying to people about us? I said, you are hurting my heart. You are hurting our relationship. You are breaking trust with me. Why didn't you come and just talk with me? 
what I'm describing between human beings is also with Jesus. He's a human person. Jesus is fully man. He's fully God, but he's fully man. And he has feelings and he has emotions just like we do. And if in our actions we begin to sever that intimacy with Jesus by accusing him, by by not talking with him, by not praying, by not reading his love letter to to us. The scriptures is that's the love letter of Jesus. If we're cold and formal with him, and everything is ritualized with him, and there's no no warmth and no intimacy between you and Jesus, then you're slowly cutting off those strands of love that that are so desperately needed between two people to draw their hearts together so that they can learn to trust one another. Trust is never given. Trust is always earned, and it's earned by not severing those cords of love that attach one heart to another. I used to foolishly believe that that the most important value in a marriage was to tell the truth to each other. Now I recognize that that was utter foolishness. The first command is to be nice to each other. In kindness, there are some things we don't say to each other. Because we know that if we say them, we will cut cords of love. And at the appropriate time, we can share what's on our heart. But just to blurt it out, just to say it, just to use it as a weapon. And usually truth-tellers use truth as a weapon. I'm very grateful that Jesus has never done that to me. He is the truth. He is the way. But he doesn't beat me with his truth. Instead, he connects cords of love to my heart by the way he treats me, by the way he provides for me, by the way he speaks with me in his word. And as he opens his heart to me, and I open my heart to him, changes me transforms, and love and intimacy develop between us so that when we pray, we know we have an answer. When we pray, our prayer doesn't hit the ceiling and bounce back at us. Some of you are a couple months or six months away from Jesus, and if you got in trouble, he couldn't get there fast enough to save you. No intimacy between you. Guess what I'm trying to say to you today is, look, Jesus loves you, and those are not cheap words. He's poured out his life. He's he's poured out his blood for you. He wants to be intimate with you. But sin breaks the intimacy. Sin 
cuts the cords of love between your heart and Jesus' heart. And if you continue in your sin, you utterly cut those cords, and now all you're left with is religion. All you're left with is some sentimental idea about love, but there is no real love there. Real love with Jesus cannot exist in an atmosphere of rebellion and sin. That does not build intimacy. It doesn't open the heart. And it doesn't open Jesus' heart to you. Now, there's a passage, Romans, the seventh chapter, I'd like to read for you. Romans 7, let me begin with verse 4. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work on our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. In other words, we no longer live by the law, but we don't break the law. We stop sinning. I want to go back to verse 4. So, my brothers, you also died to the law, to the body of Christ, that you might belong to another. Well, the King James Version translates belong to another so that you might be married to him. But that word, let's. Let's look at it in the Greek. It's that word genomi. It literally is the word from which in the English we get the word generator. Now, what does a generator do? It produces electricity. It produces light. Life. It's the middle voice of the verb to be literally to cause to be. Saying, my brothers, you died to the law, you died to the, to the disobedience and to the sin. You're not trying to live up to something. You're not, you're not working in your flesh to be righteous. But instead, You've come into this generator of life. That's what happens when we surrender totally and completely. When we lose our life for Jesus, he comes in with that generator. He's married to us. We're married to him. We belong to him. And the belonging is not a passive belonging. It is an active belonging. Remember, I, at the beginning of the broadcast, talked about waking up in the morning. and Before Jan passed, my late wife, before she went to be with Jesus, we would wake up in the morning, and, and there was action between us. There was life between us. There was touching. There was kissing. There was, there was talking. 
there was ongoing life between us. That's what Jesus is saying. I will come into your life, and I will generate in you intimacy between us. I will generate between us something that's real, something that's alive, not cold and formal and dead. Now, the great problem we're faced with is that the Christian of today in America, for the most part, they expect to live in sin. So they expect to harm the intimacy they desire with Jesus by their rebellious action. And this expectation ensures the continuance of sin in their lives. And we've invented a theology to justify that, saying that the blood of Jesus could forgive us for our sins, but the blood of Jesus can't transform us and make us holy. If an individual expects to sin, it in fact means that he intends to sin. It means he's never really made the decision to be crucified with Christ. He's never made the decision to totally give his life up, and so he doesn't enter into this intimacy that I'm speaking about with Jesus where you go day after day after day, and you're not walking in sin. You're walking clean in the power and presence of Jesus. And the sweetness of the presence of Jesus preserves you and keeps you from sin. Many professors of religion today don't mean to live without sin. They think it's impossible because they can't keep their life and not live in sin. You have to give your life up to live holy with God. The Apostle Paul insists in the sixth chapter of, of Romans that, that we choose to be dead to sin, that we have no more to do with sin in any way. We cast it out in the name of Jesus. We do not expect to sin any more than a dead man should expect to walk. called instead, my brothers and my sisters, to throw ourselves upon Christ and to receive him in all of his intimacy, to expect that the promises of God are true, that he will preserve us, that he will make us holy, that we have been saved by him from our sin. If a person will take this, and believe that they are to live without sin, and that Jesus will cover them with his mercy and his grace, and he will keep them from wickedness. That's exactly what he'll do for us. To believe that Christ, to believe that Jesus will keep us, ensures the victory over all sin. the reason why we continue to walk in sin. We don't expect Jesus to deliver us, and we're unwilling to leave our rebellion 
to hide. If a man tries to preserve himself himself instead of just throwing himself upon Jesus Christ, man's on his own resources. And in his weakness, he expects to fall again. And so he falls time after time until finally he just says, Jesus, you're just going to have to accept me the way I am. No, Jesus will not accept you that way. No man of sin is going to ever enter into the kingdom of heaven. We're going to have to look at our our emptiness when we're alone. And we're going to have to give ourselves, yea, throw ourselves upon Jesus and believe him that he will forgive all of our past sins and that, yea, even now he will preserve you from all sin, that you will no longer walk in sin before God. Now, there are those who make a false understanding of sin. Sin is always voluntary. We don't ever fall into sin. We don't ever unconsciously sin. Sin is not counted if it is not voluntary rebellion against God. As the Holy Spirit reveals an area of sin, we quickly repent of it, and it is removed from our heart. Remember, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, we remain in Christ Jesus. We remain in Jesus, and he remains in us. This is the intimacy I'm speaking about today. If you continue to walk in sin, you continue to cut the tenderness between you and Jesus. You harm his heart. You hurt the tender relationship between you and Jesus. When you give up sin, when you cast yourself totally upon him, utterly removes the sin. And he comes in and he fellowships with you. And you become very conscious of his presence. You become very aware of his incredible, wonderful, intimate love begins to speak to you. Holy Spirit will say, don't sit and watch that television. And if you choose to, cutting a strand of love with Jesus, does that matter to you? Say, don't say that anymore. Don't say that to your wife or your husband anymore. Be kind. Be nice. Don't speak harshly to your children anymore. Love them. Just put boundaries up, but love them. Win their hearts. One mother I was so impressed by. She is a wonderful mother, and the father is a wonderful father, and they have these little children. 
and the little girl was acting up. She was misbehaving every direction she could. And this wonderful mother said to me, I'm supposed to win her heart. So this mother set about to win the heart of her daughter. And a short time after that, I was talking with her, and I said, how's it going with your sweet daughter? Things have changed so much. I'm winning my daughter's heart. You don't win your daughter's heart by punishment. You don't win your daughter or your son's heart by judging and accusation and nagging. You win their heart by sweetness and love and kindness. And in the midst of that, setting up boundaries. And when they cross those boundaries, there's a penalty that has to be paid, but only out of the heart, filled with kindness and love, not screaming and shouting and jerking. That's how Jesus has dealt with Oh, I, I've made such a mess of so many things in my life. And Jesus has come with such compassion and love. And I, I had a dream once many years ago, and I, I keep it at the forefront of my mind, and I laugh about it. In the dream, I was traveling down the road, and ahead of me was someone with lights directing the traffic. And behind me was a street sweeper. <laughs> and I said, that's Jesus. He's ahead of me directing my steps, and he's behind me cleaning up my mess. And believe me, I needed him to clean up my mess so many times. I tell you, he's done all of that for me out of compassion and out of love and out of sweetness and out of firm boundaries with me. He knows how to play takeaway. Knows how to put me in time out. Knows how to give me a whipping. Go to the woodshed. But in all of that, there has been such overwhelming kindness and love and mercy. Today I've tried to talk to you about this love with Jesus. Do you know this love? Is your heart taken by his incredible love, or are you lukewarm toward him? Are you laid back and formal with a cold heart? Have you lost your first love? Producers telling me we have just two minutes left. I want to invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel. If you do, you'll find Jesus there. He's present with us every Sunday. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. It's located at 14851 Gideon Drive in Woodbridge, Virginia. The zip code is 22192. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll find there the directions and all the information you need. I also invite you to contribute as the Lord leads you with tithes and offerings for the support of this broadcast. You will also find our mailing address at that 
webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. My brother, my sister, I love you. I call you to Jesus. I call you to give up your life and follow him. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy Now unto him who is able To keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of his glory 